Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the book of Judges. Yesterday we learned of our first judge, Atniel ben Kenaz, and how he saved the people from the, um, uh, uh, from the king uh, Kushan Rishatayim of, of Aram. Now today we move on to the next story. He, Atniel ruled for 40 years and passed on. And then in verse 12, after he passed on, in the pattern which is going to continue to repeat itself, the people of Israel continued to do bad in the eyes of God. And now a new enemy rose, a king by the name of Eglon, who was the king of Moab, the Moabites, um, and he ruled over the people of Israel. And the reason why he was able to uh, rule over them is because because they were doing bad in the eyes of God. And then not all, and the king, this king Eglon, had got himself some allies to oppress the people of Israel. The Ammonites gathered together with him, and the Amalekites. And they went and they struck down the people of Israel and they occupied the city of Palms. Generally, the city of Palms is identified with Jericho, with Jericho, um, which had been conquered by, it was the first town conquered by the Israelites in the famous story we read about in Joshua. But now it was reconquered by Israel's enemies. For 18 years, the people of Israel were subservient to uh, uh, the king Eglon, the king of Moab, of the Moabites. Of course, when they were suffering, that's when they turned to cry to God. So now, God established for them someone to save them, a Moshia. A Moshia is quite a title, someone who brings about salvation, who brings about, saves the people from those that are, are suffering. And this time his name was at Ehud ben Geira ben Hayamini. His name was Ehud, the son of Geira, who was a Benjaminite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was an Ish Iter Yad Yamino. He was a, a person whose right hand was on the other side, meaning he was the left-handed man. Um, why is this important? We'll understand as we read through the story. Um, it's not just a, um, it would seem like a pretty minor detail, but it's not so minor as we read through this. So he was a left-handed man. Uh, and the people of Israel, um, <coughs> In order to try to um, uh, save themselves from the suffering under the king Eglon, they sent an offering, a, a gift, a um, to the king Eglon, maybe a bribe, Melach Moab, the king of Moab, maybe to try to get him to uh, relieve them of some of the tax burden or that he was burdening them with. So Vayaslo Ehud Cherev. And Ehud had a different plan. He wasn't going to just bring an offering to him, but rather he had a plan and an idea, which was as follows. Um, he made a sword which had two edges. Um, uh, gomed Arka, it was a Gomed long, which is presumably small enough to hide but large enough to do the damage he wanted it to do. And he 
girded that belt underneath his clothing. In other words, it was hidden. Al Yerech and he did it on his right thigh. So remember, because he was a lefty, one would expect him to put his weapon on his left side so he can draw it quickly. But he hid his weapon on his right side where people would not expect it to be. And he brought this offering, this gift to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Eglon was a, literally this means a very healthy man, which means... In our terms, he was obese. He was quite, and Mo'od, very. So this, this king was an extremely large, um, obese individual. Um, and again, we'll see why that's important. When he completed to, uh, the, the, pre- the presentation of the gift to the king, and Ehud asked his people, to, um, to leave those that were carrying the gift. This is important. So now Eglon is alone. He's alone and he's vulnerable. Again, making him less suspicious. If someone was intended to do harm to the king, you would expect him to keep his guys next to him, with him, for defense, but he asked him to go. So again, he's looking very innocent. And... Um, and uh, he he what he went he went with his, his the people of the nation he sent them back, and then he himself turned back around. In other words, they brought this. Let's get this straight. He they brought this offering to the king and the whole thing, and made it as if they're you know with all these peaceful intentions. He did not uh, visibly have any weapons or arms with him. After the presentation of the gift, they left. He tells his people his his entourage to go. And likely the entourage did not know what exactly what Ehud had in mind. And then Ehud himself comes back from the place called Pisilim, which is near Gilgal. Gilgal is a famous place where the, um, where the Israelites had encamped in the time of Joshua. And he said um, to the king, I have a secret, um, an important uh, a secret to tell you, uh, sir. Um, um, in other words, um, you know, I, I have a message for you. So he created a situation where they think he's there for peaceful reasons. He just gave the king a gift and, and also whatever pomp and circumstance were involved in giving the gift. He doesn't have his, his, um, his helpers, his soldiers, his, his entourage with him. So he's alone and vulnerable. And, and un, does not appear to be a threat. They don't see any weapons on him. So the Bayomer Has, the king says, quiet. And all of those that were with him left. Presumably, he must have uh, uh, intimated that this secret um, was important, maybe uh, to say that the, you know, some of your supposed allies, remember we mentioned before that, a, that uh, this Eglon, king of Moab, uh, had these allies, the Amalekites and the Ammonites, maybe he wanted to tell them that those guys are plotting against him or something like that. So the Ehud bought Elav, and then Ehud came on his own, alone, to the king, and the king was in the, um, in the cool upper chamber. Apparently he, there must have been a breezy upper chamber where he went to escape the summer heat. Asher lo which the king has on his own. 
so he had his own, uh, uh, you know, upper floor, which was, which was cool, and that's where the king was. Vayomer Ehud and Ehud said, "Devar Elohim I have a message for you from God." and the king gets up from his throne. Well, he's bringing me a message from God that's important. The king stands up. Ehud Yad Ehud then puts out his left hand because remember his left hand is his strong hand. The king thinks his left hand is safe so the king doesn't do any action or scream or anything because he sees no weapon on his left side. But he reaches over to his right side where he had a weapon hidden. He pulls it from his thigh and immediately and quickly plunges it into the belly of the king. And the... Um, the uh, uh, it's, it's a pretty graphic description of, 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 of a very morbidly obese man um, and the fat uh, the folded over, flowed over the, the blade of the, of the knife and the, um, and the, uh, 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 the, the, the fat closed over it so the, 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 he was so fat that the, the entire knife was engulfed within his belly and remember he had it was a, a two-headed blade because he wanted to do as much damage as he could no, he didn't pull the, it out of his belly but he just left it in there um, uh, until his guts started to pour out I apologize for the gore involved but this this is how it's described in the verse vayetzei ehud and the 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 image of him being so morbidly obese is also it's important for the story um you know that he was the oppressor and he was fat uh, he was oppressing the people um that were obviously imagined that they were thin and they were suffering and also the idea that he did not have a, a lot of mobility, so he couldn't really defend himself or say anything, which made it all the more easier for Ehud to, to assassinate him. Ehud went out into the, um, the chambers that are outside the king's inner chambers, I can call it a vestibule, and he closed the doors. Um, uh, behind him, so so again to delay people from discovering what he did, Vinoal, and then he locked them again to give him more escape time. And then Ehud had left, he had left the palace, and he was running back home, obviously, as fast as he could. And then eventually the servants of the king came, and they saw, they saw that they were locked. And they figured, oh, you know, they knew that he was a very um, corpulent man and that he was, uh, uh, you know, he, was in, he liked physical pleasures. So he must be, uh, he must be washing his legs in his cool room. He must be cooling off, bathing. And he would do this often and often private so that um, Eir was able to take advantage of that. And they waited a, a while, and eventually he didn't. He never opened up the doors. He never showed up. So then, and of course, it it would be improper for them to unlock the door and barge in. But eventually, they had no choice. 
they got the keys to the room and they opened the door and their master, their king was fallen dead on the floor so um, this had given um, uh, Ehud time to escape verse 26 right? Ehud had escaped all um, uh, during all this time while they had delayed, right? Hitmamea is to delay. Um, it's kind of onomatopoeia, as they say, where the word almost sounds like hitmahamea, right? Uh, like it's, it's a repetitive word that's just, you know, stuttering, schlepping around. Um, <clears throat> while they were wasting time thinking that their king was bathing, Ehud was running. and he had already passed the place of Pisilim. <laughs> Which clearly brought him closer to home territory, closer to safe territory. and he escaped all the way to Seira. and it was when he arrived back home. shofar and they blew out with a the shofar on uh, a, a message of triumph from the mountains of Ephraim. Remember, he was a Benjaminite, but the um, the Ephraim tribe was a primary tribe. Uh, you know, the Ephraim and Yehuda were the two main tribes and the leaders' tribes. And uh, Har Ephraim was a, a place of leadership. And then, after he had assassinated their king, the people of Israel came down with him from the mountain of Ephraim, and he led them by Yom Raleim, and he said to them, Chase after me, in other words, follow me. God has placed your enemy at Moab, the people of Moab, in your hands. And they went down the mountain and followed him. And they captured the fords, the, uh, the uh, crossings of the Jordan River, which crossed from the west bank of the Jordan to the east bank, where Moab was. And they did not allow anyone to pass. So in other words, they took control of the borders. Um, and they got rid of their the, of the people that used to um, rule over them by Akuat Moabite, and eventually they, they led to battle where they struck down the Moabites. Kaseret they killed uh, ten thousand soldiers. Kol Shomain, um, these were all big fat men. Bechol Ishchayil, and all of these men of of uh, of strength and power of alone, not each, not a single one had escaped. And the people of Moab were sub- subdued in those days under the people of Israel. And the peace that was gained by Ehud lasted for 80 years. So this was the story of Ehud, um, the second of the leaders of, 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 of Israel in this period of Judges. Um, uh, the... Um, the uh, uh, so we have now learned about Otniel, we have learned about Ehud, and there's a, a single verse of another one which we'll, we'll read it because it'll conclude chapter three, the Acharov, and after that 80 year period of peace that was secured by Ehud, it didn't necessarily say that Ehud lived for 80 years, but the peace that he secured lasted for 80 years, and he was the judge of Israel for a period of time. And, and all we know about Ehud is the story that we just learned. We knew that he was a clever assassin, he was a solid military leader, and he was called a Moshiach, a savior. So presumably he was a righteous person. <coughs> but 
That's all we know. We don't have any other biographical detail. But the next judge we're about to read, we have even less. And after him came Shamgar ben Anot, was Shamgar the son of Anot. Now notably here, it does not tell us which tribe he came from. There are theories that he was from the tribe of Simon, um, a book that uh, on the, on the, uh, by the um, Koran uh, Press in the Magid series of Tanakh by Michael Hatton, uh, has a pretty good argument um, <coughs> uh, for why he believes that Shamgar was from the tribe of Simon, of Shimon, but, uh, but the Pasuk doesn't tell us, the verse doesn't tell us which tribe he was from. And he struck down the Philistines, 600 men, in a, uh, and how, how did he do it? He did it with his ox goad. Malmad habakar is a basically a pole that while they were um, uh, uh, plowing their fields um, and to they would go like uh, poke the cows to encourage them to the oxen to encourage them to move uh, stronger faster uh, and that was what he used as his weapon so it's trying to de- give us an impression how he was so powerful that with simply using his tools of of farming tools he was able to strike down 60 600 philistines uh, this is a little bit of a reminder of a much longer story we're going to read later, the story of Shimshon of Samson. But um, <coughs> basically, this Shamgar was a judge who was so great, such a powerful warrior, that he was able to strike down the Philistines with his ox goad. Vayosha Gamhu as Yisrael, and he also saved the Israelites from presumably a Philistine uh, uh, oppressor. And this is all we know about Shamgar. We know his, we know what his weapon was, and we know who his enemy was, um, and that he was a savior. Vayosha, he saved Israel, which is no small feat and no small compliment. So we now have learned the stories of three: of Otniel ben Kenaz, of Ehud ben Geira, and Shamgar ben Anot those three judges and this concludes chapter three thank you for studying chapter three together looking forward to studying chapter four and the rest of this wonderful book of judges together